front, many times when I preach, I'll say, okay, this sermon is for all of us. It'll, it'll apply to everybody here. Uh, this morning's sermon was, was uh, such a sermon that, that anybody, no matter where you are in your Christian walk, could be helped by it. This sermon tonight is not the case. Uh, this message tonight, now, you can make it the case if you choose, and I'm not trying to be, you know, coy or, or whatever. I'm telling you straight up that the, the promise that I'm going to show you in the Word of God here only applies to those who have chosen to surrender their lives to do the will of God and that are daily surrendering to the will of God. You know, every once in a while, somebody will, will uh, say, uh, and I don't mean a church member, I mean just somebody that knows I'm a, I'm a preacher and they're not saved or they're just, uh, you know, nominally living the Christian life. Um, hey, I, you know, I know you're, you're pretty uh, high octane in your, in your faith, but do you have any answers that, that are, are not so religious? Do you have like any non-religious solutions? The fact of the matter is, no, I don't. I don't have any non-religious solutions for you. Uh, if, if you're looking for help from God, give me, give me some help, but, but I don't want to do all that will of God stuff. I don't, that's not what I deal in. I can't help you there. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's not the same, but it's like going to a lawyer and say, could you fix my problem, but don't do it legally. If he's got any integrity, he'd say no. But it, to me, it's, it, for me, it's not even about integrity. I don't have any principles for you except the principles that come from the Word of God. So, no, I don't have any non-God solutions for you. But this message tonight from the Bible, we're going to talk about seven truths about God's will. And if you're not surrendered to do God's will, these truths won't help you. Now, you say, well, I didn't see anything about the will of God in the text that we read. Well, let me show you. First of all, here's the truth, and all seven of these truths are built upon this truth. Verse number 10, declaring the end from the beginning. Then he says, the end of verse number 11, Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Now, it's sort of like, Romans 8.28, how sometimes we use it to say that, well, every, you know, Romans 8.28, everything's just going to turn out okay. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. Not only does Romans 8.28 not say that, but Romans 8.28 is a promise made to a specific group of people, to them who love God and to them who have surrendered to his purpose. Now, the verse says the called according to his purpose, but any time the Bible talks about being called, it, it, it implies, it includes only those who have surrendered to the call. Just being called, if you, don't, if you say no to the will of God, then that promise isn't for you. And that's the case with this tonight. This principle, God knows the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning. In other words, you surrender to the will of God. And, I mean, almost immediately, you've experienced this, I'm sure, if you've surrendered to the will of God, almost immediately, things begin to happen that you weren't planning on. Whoa, whoa, time out. When I said I surrendered to the will of God, Lord, I was saying, 
I want to do your will for my life if it's, you know, smooth and convenient and, and happy. Well, that's not God's will. God has a plan. Now, let me stop and say this. As a commercial about the will of God, I wouldn't want to do anything but the will of God. I'd be scared to live a day purposely outside the will of God. Now, I'm sure I live many days where I fall short of the perfect will of God. I'm sure I live many days, as the song is that we sing, uh, though there have been times I've been out of his will, I've never been out of his care. But I can say this, to the best of my ability, I don't live a single day where I decide, you know what, I've had enough of this will of God for my life stuff, I'm just going to go do my thing. And I feel comfortable saying that because David came to the end of his life and he made the statement, I have never wickedly departed from God. And I'm looking at Bathsheba and Uriah and I'm going, never? But what David meant there and the reason God could uh, put that in his word as an accurate statement is because even in his worst sin and failure, David was not rebelling against the will of God. David was not, uh, uh, I'm not minimizing his sin in any way, but he was not shaking his fist in God's face saying, you know what, I'm tired of this king of Israel thing. I'm tired of this anointed thing. I'm tired of that. I'm going to go out and do what David wants to do. Now, his actions said that. But what I'm saying is David did not intentionally un surrender. You say, that uh, sounds like a distinction without a difference there. But uh, so be it. God still allowed him to make the statement at the end of his life, I never wickedly departed from you, God. And so on that basis, I still with fear and trembling say, I goof up a lot. I fail a lot. A lot that I'm embarrassed about in my life. But I can tell you, since I told God, I will do your will for my life. There's never been a time where I changed my mind and said, you know what, God, I'm taking some time off from your will. Now, my actions have said that, unfortunately. But I've never made the conscious choice. And I will introduce a little bit of a debate there maybe in your mind. And look, when you have those question marks, ponder them. Seek the Lord about them. Don't, don't argue with me. Seek the Lord. If you can say the same, you know what? I surrendered to God and said, Lord, the course of my life is going to follow your plan. You show me, I'll do it. I will follow your will. Then this statement in Isaiah, these statements, declaring the end from the beginning. And the statements that I'm going to give you based on those, those couple of statements in there, they're for you. Let me give them to you. Truths about God's will from the passage we read. First of all, when I can only see the beginning, God already knows the end. See, an unexpected beginning, and, and, and I don't just mean the beginning of the whole thing called the will of God. I'm talking about any beginning. I'm talking, you get a phone call that tells you some horrible news. 
that is going to impact you for the rest of your life. That's another beginning. You have some unexpected circumstance take place in your life. A massive financial reversal. A massive relationship reversal. Someone lashes out at you or, or, or someone in your life, they, they, they just demand much more of your time. You know, I'm, I'm talking about you instantly become a, a, a primary caregiver and you didn't expect to be. Some, those kind of things. Every one of those circumstances is a new beginning. There's something new that's been introduced to your life. Sometimes it's just for a short time. Sometimes something goes wrong and you say, man, this is going to affect me for years. And it turns out after five days you find out, oh, okay, that had, you know, God was testing me there, but now I see it's over, it's done. But we have beginning after beginning after beginning. And when I can only see the beginning, God already knows the end. God has planned the end. Now, all I can give you and all the examples I'm going to give tonight, they're not going to be personal stories. They're all going to be from the Bible, stories that you know. But it would help you if you would identify beginnings in your life. Bad news. Good news. News that may not either be good or bad. It just means a big turn in your life. You know, the things in your life, listen carefully to this, the things in your life that you think, man, that is everybody else, that's perfect in their life. And for me, it's so, it's so hard, it's so difficult. And for some reason, we, we don't identify those as being a part of the will of God. Well, that, you know, that's not a spiritual thing. Listen, everything's a spiritual thing when you're in the will of God. I think everything's a spiritual thing, period. But especially when you're surrendered to the will of God. Everything is, is a, for lack of a better word, hyper-spiritual thing. For some reasons, these things come along and we tend to identify those as, well, that's just, a, that's just a regular part of life. No, it's not. It's another beginning. And if you're surrendered to the will of God, it's been funneled to you by God. It's very easy for us when an unexpected beginning to take, uh, takes place that it throws us for a loop. Why? Because we can't see the end, but God can see the end. All Hannah could see when she was married and she was a co-wife to Elkanah. Elkanah? Elkanah. I was, at first glance, I get Hannah's wife, and Naomi's, uh, Hannah's husband, and, although Hannah sort of had a wife. But anyway, uh, Hannah's husband and uh, Naomi's husband mixed up until I think about it. So anyway, uh, Naomi is Elimelech and Hannah is Elkanah. There we go. pastor's got his head on straight. Let's, let's proceed. As Hannah progresses and she realizes that her Rival, not her wife. That's uh, that's not even funny these days, is it? Her her co-wife is just she's having babies, having babies. Mommy, mommy, you know, oh, good good boy, good girl. 
and Hannah's having none. And once Hannah comes to the conclusion, you know what? God has chosen to let me be barren. All she could see was that beginning. But God saw Samuel. God saw Samuel anointing the second and greatest, till this point, king of Israel, King David. Hannah couldn't see Samuel. When Hannah would get so troubled and upset and cry out to God and weep and mourn and grieve and crying herself to sleep and the sleepless nights and the lonely hours and the frustration, she could only see her beginning. But God could see the end. He could see Samuel and everything that came from Samuel. When I can only see the beginning, God already knows the end. Then there's this. For every beginning, when you're in the will of God, and this is, you know, statement number one is true whether you're in or out of the will of God, but this one is only true if you're surrendered to the will of God. For every beginning... God has an ending that pleases him. Now, the truth is, it is true for you if you're out of the will of God. But listen, if you're not surrounded to the will of God, the ending that pleases God is is not going to be pleasant for you. The the will of God works for everybody who is surrendered to it. That's an important statement, and it's a little bit of a side road, but let's get off on the side road for just 30 seconds. Don't ever worry. That's that if you're surrendered to the will of God, don't ever worry that someone else's actions are going to throw you off course. There's, there's one opportunity, and there are two of us that are vying for that same opportunity, and supposedly we're all surrendered to the will of God. It's a, it's a ministry opportunity. And I, my heart is set on it. I believe that's what God has for me, and bang, God gives it to him. Well, well, wait, if you're surrendered to the will of God and the people filling that position are surrendered to the will of God and he's surrendered to the will of God, it's going to work for him, it's going to work for them, it's going to work for you. And by the way, if you're the only one surrendered to the will of God, then what they do or don't do can't stop you. Don't ever forget, and I, of all the statements I've ever run past people, I have never had one that people disagree with more than this one right here. Nobody can keep you from God's best for your life but you. And I've said that to people, and, and, I, and, and people have sat in my office and just got so frustrated Pastor, I love you, but that's not true. Oh, it is true. Yeah, but do you know what this person did to me to to hurt me, to ruin my life? It's true. Nobody, nobody can knock you out of God's best for your life but you. So, I'm putting that little bit of a, little bit of a uh, disclaimer on this statement. For every beginning, God has an ending that pleases him. So, all right, go through what has begun in my life. What things have come down that I've thought, man, I 
wasn't planning on that. I didn't want that. But I know I'm surrendered to the will of God. All right, you identify those things. God has an ending that pleases him. And that goes for the big massive things, the things that are going to last your entire life, and it goes for the little day-by-day things. For every beginning, God has an ending that pleases him. I'm sure that as Daniel was being carted off from Jerusalem, Daniel was at least in the royal family, whether or not he was actually in line to be the king of Israel, I do not know, but he was a a member of the royal family. And he's being carted off to Babylon. You imagine that bumpy ride, whether he was forcibly, I'm talking about, you know, put inside of a, of a, of a prison car or whether he had uh, uh, chains on or, or maybe they just trusted enough to walk. I don't know. But whatever the case, it was not a pleasant journey. And to Daniel, it must have seemed, seemed nothing good can come from this. What good? can come from this. Hey, we know the answer to that. There's not a more amazing prophet in the Bible than Daniel. Now, forget about the fact, you know, it's always encouraging to know that there's a big picture and and, uh, I'm talking now about the captivity and what it did for Israel in the 70 years and and so forth. And uh, it's always good to know that in the big picture of things, God's, but what about your life? And Daniel could have been tempted to say, okay, good, everything's going to be fine for Israel. What about my life? I'm a teenager. I'm supposed to be, you know, playing football and, and uh, enjoying myself and, and enjoying life with my friends and, and dating. And now I'm watching my city destroyed as I'm carted off to a distant city. And he gets there. Not only do they change his location, they change his name, they change his language, they change his his menu, his diet. I mean, he's going to be eating completely different food. Everything is changing. Just please put yourself in Daniel's place and realize his whole life is being turned upside down. And it must have looked to Daniel... What good could possibly come out of this? But we all know that for that beginning, God had a great ending that pleased him. All right, so identify your beginnings. What is that thing within the last months or the last year that has thrown you for a curve? Maybe you've had things, something happened 10 years ago that you still haven't figured out. You say, man, I've been surrendered to the will of God this whole time. And man, I I bet there's somebody here or several somebodies. You say, you know what? Since I set out to do the will of God, it has gone from bad to worse to worse to worse, and I still don't think I've hit bottom yet. And don't forget, don't forget the long stretches of Abraham's life, 
David's life. Don't ever forget this if you're a, a teenager or a young adult, that, that the young people in the Bible who surrendered to do the will of God, the, their 20s were a nightmare. Think about Joseph. Think about Daniel. Think about uh, uh, a person after person. Now, a lot of people, we don't know how their 20s went. Think about David. David was a national fugitive. What was his crime? He was a number one war hero. That was his crime. And he was on the run for over 10 years of his life. David just absolutely... Now, some good things long-term came out of his 20s, but while he was living them, it was like, man, this is it. This is what I was anointed for. No thank you. For every beginning, God has an ending. God is the God who declares the end from the beginning. Now, I wonder how public that is up in heaven. I wonder if God tells everybody. And I see down there, you see, you see Daniel down there getting, now you all know what's going to happen with the captivity. You know it's going to last 70 years and you know that uh, they're going to they're have sort of a, uh, like a rebirth when they're returned to the land and they're going to be like a new nation. But I'm talking right now about Daniel. That boy on the back of that uh, uh, on, the, on that donkey being carted off to Babylon. He is going to have a ministry that is going to be talked about for the rest of eternity. That boy is going to be known as one of the greatest prophets to ever live. By the way, this, this fits. It's not going to sound like it fits, but I, I should mention this. As, as I was going through the museum at Graceland, and I'm looking at everything, and we just have a limited amount of time because we got to get back. We got to make a hospital visit on the way back from Memphis, and we got to get to church that night. So you could spend the day there. There's so much to see, but so we're rushing through, and we're up one down, aisle down the next, and one building after another. And I came and I saw a stack of books, and I stopped, and I, I don't know why I read every title of in that stack of books, Elvis, some of Elvis's books. And I'm reading this philosopher and this preacher, no, not preach, this philosopher and this guy and this writer. And right in the middle of that stack, I see M.R. DeHaan, Daniel and Revelation. I got that book on my shelf downstairs. So <laughs> there's, 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 there's over 2,000 years after that young man is led, led from his homeland into captivity. His life turned upside down. 2,000 years later, his name is known around the world. And I wonder how publicly God declares that up in heaven. It says he declares the end from the beginning. I wonder if that means that he puts it on record. I mean, you can declare something without it being public. You declare things. You know, it's tax time, and you're, you're, there's things you declare. So there's that, that side of declare. Or is it that he announces to, to the hosts in heaven? Let me tell you what's going to happen with that. Either way, when it begins, God can tell you how it's going to end for the person who has surrendered to his will. Do you get that? What is your challenge? What is your, man, I can't figure this out. Man, where's God going with this? Man, when is something going to change with this? God could right now tell you, if he chose to, I could tell you how that's going to end. It's going to end great for you. 
For every beginning, God has an ending that pleases him. Number three, no matter how confusing any circumstance is, God has a purpose for it. I'm sure it didn't make any sense to Mary and Martha when the doctor came out of the house from seeing their brother and said, uh, I got to tell you, girls, it's not good. Uh, I'm talking about he's, he's sick unto death. you got to be kidding me. That doesn't make any sense because, I mean, we're like, our best friend in the world is somebody who can do anything. How could our brother get sick? So they right away sent a messenger said, go out and find Jesus and tell him, your friend Lazarus is sick unto death. And the messenger comes back. Did you find Jesus? Yeah, we found him. Did you tell him? I, I told him. What did he say? He said, okay, thank you. Where is he? He stayed where he was. He didn't come with you? No. He, he continued in his business. It must have confused them. But God could see something that they couldn't see. It must have really confused them when the doctor came out and said, I'm sorry, girls. Your brother's gone. And they talked about it. You know they talked about it because when Jesus did arrive three days after he was dead, after Lazarus was dead, when, when he did arrive, they came out one at a time and said word for word, if thou hadst been here, our brother had not died. Word for word. Check it out sometime. Mary and Martha came out and individually said word for word the same statement. They'd been talking about it. And it was confusing to them. But, oh, when the whole town and the religious leaders and everybody, and I don't know if you know this, but Bethany, where they live, is just over the hill from Jerusalem, which is the center of all activity in Israel. So this one got major, major press when all of that in the presence of all those people, they saw their brother be raised from the dead. See, God saw that, but they couldn't see that. No matter how confusing any circumstance, no exceptions, no exceptions, no exceptions, no matter how confusing any circumstance is when it begins, God has a purpose for it. Number four, there are no random circumstances in the will of God. I'm sure that the more Stephen preached, and the crazier things got. I mean, Stephen just went out like the, the apostles. He went out like the other disciples. He went out like the other deacons. And, and he's preaching. Only for some reason, they're just really getting mad at him. And what, this was, what, this what is supposed to happen? What's going on here? And the more he preaches, the madder they get. And the more he preaches, the crazier things get. And Stephen does the will of God. And he's there ready to take his last breath. He's being stoned to death. And he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And there's no indication that Stephen ever doubted the will of God. But one thing's for sure. God could see something that Stephen couldn't see. 
Because while Stephen had his eyes fixed on Jesus, God could see that there was a man standing on the sidelines and this whole thing was blowing his mind. He did not get this whole thing. And by the way, it would just be a matter of time before the same Jesus that Stephen was looking at, he'd be looking at him as he was calling him to salvation and calling him to preach. I say there are no random circumstances in the will of God. And I say this to you, the same God who allows every beginning will lead you to his planned end. These things that happen in your life, and they will keep on happening. Listen, the will of God will bring you beginning after beginning after beginning, but the God who allows each beginning has an end for every single one of them. Even if you die with loose ends to your beginning, God has ends for every one of those beginnings. The same God who allows every beginning will lead me to his planned end. God had allowed Esther's mom and dad to be killed. God had allowed Esther to be raised by her cousin who was old enough that he was referred to as her uncle. God had allowed Esther to be in the kingdom when there was a call for a new queen. God had allowed Esther to be chosen as the new queen. God had allowed Esther to be in the palace when the news came down that all the people of your race are going to be put to death. And her uncle Mordecai said to her, God has put you here for such a time as this. The same God who allows every beginning, every good beginning, every bad beginning, every exciting beginning, every challenging beginning. Listen, when you're in the will of God and you get this phenomenal opportunity that you say, wow, that's, that's exciting. Don't ever forget that that came from God. Wait, you surrender to the will of God and all of a sudden you have this great opportunity. It doesn't mean all of a sudden now that you have license to leave the will of God. Oh, this is God telling me that I can run off and, you know, have fun and, and, and live, the, live the normal life, whatever that means. No, something's coming. By the way, you surrender to his will. If he gives you some awesome opportunity, you know what you're supposed to do? Give it back to him. How do you want this used? Uh, you know, the cause of Christ in America, one of its greatest illnesses is people that God blesses and then they hoard the blessing. God blesses with work opportunities. Oh, look at this, man. I never thought I'd be making six figures. Did you ever think you'd be tithing on six figures? Did you ever think instead of, man, now I can own every toy under the sun? Oh, great. After you have tithed and given offerings to the Lord to say, thank you so much because I know this opportunity never would have come without you. 
Uh, what I'm saying is God's work ought to be financed by God's people, and it's not. Most Christians do not tithe. Esther is in the palace, and she needed a kind reminder from her, her, her uncle, and, and he said, now listen, Esther, don't forget, God put you here for a reason, and don't forget this, God, this is another tough one to swallow, God doesn't need you. If you think you're indispensable and you think you can just go out and do your thing and you can, you can uh, go out there and, and follow your own way, God can get somebody else. Don't forget, you, the opportunity that you have from God is just that. It's an opportunity. The, the thought for me to think that I'm indispensable to this work or for you to think that you're indispensable to this work, that is straight up pride and arrogance and God hates that. God can do it without me. He can do it without you. The best thing we can do, as Esther was reminded, is, all right, Lord, however you want to use me, it would be an honor. We're almost, we're, we're approaching the end here. The beginning of every new circumstance in the will of God means that God is working in my life. That's so encouraging. Something, some change comes up tomorrow. I mean, you could, it could be this week when there's a, another beginning for you where you go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I hope not, but maybe a layoff. I hope not, but maybe a, an, an unexpected illness. I hope not, but, but maybe some sort of a, an economic reversal or a health reversal that you say, no, no, God, why, why? And we say it, don't we? God, what did I do to deserve that? Every new beginning in the will of God means that God is working in my life. And I don't know anybody that illustrates that any better than Abraham does. Abraham waited 25 years for God to begin to keep his promise. Now, God was keeping his promise all along, but Abraham wasn't seeing any evidence of it. Abraham's life was blessed in every other way except the biggest one, which was God said, leave your home, go to this place that I'm going to tell you about, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And the more Abraham did the math on that, the more it didn't add up. Because now he's 80 and 85 and 90. And, you know, I can go through those numbers just like that, but we're talking years. Man, 25 years is a long time to wait to make just a teeny, weeny, littlest progress on becoming a great nation. But every time Abraham had another answer to prayer, like when he prayed for Lot in Sodom. Like when he prayed for the success of Ishmael. By the way, can I throw this out real quick? This is great. This is off the subject, but not really off the subject. Did you ever wonder after Isaac was born and God said, take thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Did you ever stop and correct God and say, wait, 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 God. He got another son. We mean his only son Isaac. He's got another son. Do you know why I believe God said, "Thine only son Isaac"? Because when God spoke to Abraham, He was speaking to Sarah, and Abraham and Sarah only had one son. 
God's promise to Abraham was not to Hagar. It was to Abraham and Sarah. And there may be other reasons, but I believe that is dead on. One of the reasons why God was perfectly accurate when he said, thine only son. Listen, Sarah's faith was based in in what God told Abraham. Anyhow. All of the progresses, all of the answers, all of the blessings that Abraham, even though for 25 years he did not see anything happening in that promise, I will make a great nation out of you, he was seeing all kinds of blessings. He was seeing all kinds of new beginnings. Okay? Every beginning in your life, every new circumstance, every corner, Every brand new, whoa, where did that come from? They happen again and again in your life. Every one of them means that God is working in your life. If, if you're surrendered to the will of God. Last one. I can trust God to take me to his planned end every time. And man, does anybody in the Bible illustrate that? better than Joseph does. I can trust God to take me to his planned end every time. Joseph, he had a great life until he was about 17 years old. Then when he was about 17, I mean, his life just fell apart and it just got worse and worse and worse in his life. I just remembered a verse, and I'm trying to look up a verse and preach at the same time, but, but uh, I'm not there yet. So, oh, no, that's not it either. We'll, we'll, see. we'll get to it in a second. Perfect way to conclude this message, but we're almost there. I can trust God to make, take me to his planned end every time. If you are not surrendered to the will of God, I, I'm just, I urge you to, Give your life to God. Trust him with it. He'll, take it. he'll give you things that you could never plan for yourself. But if you have surrendered to God's will for your life, you can trust him. Say, man, I got, some, I got some crazy things in my life as I've tried to do God's will, and these things have arisen, and these things have come along, and, man, I just, oh, I can't figure it out. You can trust God to take you to his planned end. And I always love to picture Joseph there when his brothers finally showed up. And time and time again as they show up and and they reveal, they're speaking in Hebrew and they don't know he can understand them. And they're saying to each other, I told you, I told you we shouldn't have messed with him. And Joseph right away gets caught up in emotion because he realizes one of them stood up for me. You go back and read the story, it's just amazing how Joseph was overwhelmed with the emotion. And when he finally uncontrollably uncontrollably broke down, it's when he saw some humility in his brother Judah. Judah was the man. Judah was a man's man. And Judah broke down and pled, pleaded, pled or pleaded. He pled and he pleaded. For his father, please, sir, my dad, he was brokenhearted when he thought his son died. And now 
this is this son. And, and he just begs for his life. And Joseph can't take it anymore. Why? Because Joseph is finally seeing the dreams, the pit, Potiphar's house, the prison. He's finally seeing it all come together. Let me tell you, there's nothing more powerful and emotional in your life is when you see the ends come together. And you can tie the ends to the beginnings. And your faith is strengthened like it never has been before. When life in the will of God does not make sense, remember, God declares the end from the beginning. When you have no idea where God's will is taking you, remember, God declares the end from the beginning. And dear Lord, help me to find the verse that I'm looking for so we can end this message. All right, I'm going to quote it, but it may not be word for word. It's from the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Why? Because God's got it all fixed up for you. He's got it set up. Father, I pray that you'd help us, please. Help us, please, Lord, to trust you with the ends. Lord, we're, all of us deal with a lot of beginnings, we, a, lot of, a lot of things. We, where did that come? Why did that happen? Why is this going on? And Why am I struggling with this? Help us to trust you to take us to the ends that you have for us, please. Let's stand together tonight. The Spirit of God spoke to your heart about something. Would you trust the Lord? Would you give it to him? Would you let him take you there? The altar's open. Talk to the Lord about it tonight.